BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In widespread scenes that are rapidly becoming reminiscent of 1989's protests in Tiananmen Square and subsequent crackdown, Chinese citizens across the country, especially at universities, but even in ordinary places, are protesting against the government's lockdown policies in the wake of COVID-19. It's being called the white paper revolution because the protesters are using blank pieces of paper as a symbol of protest, which is meant to indicate all the things they want to say in criticism of their repressive governments, but aren't allowed to say by law. It's one of the most interesting non-message messages I think I've ever seen in a protest. A case where saying nothing at all on purpose says an enormous amount. And part of the impetus behind these protests, of course, is anger at the repression and the control of information by the Chinese government. That's been true for a long time. The more immediate cause is lockdown policies and the perceived deaths of several residents recently in an apartment complex where they were under strict lockdown and there was a fire. And we're still not entirely sure, but it seems like they couldn't get out because of locks on the doors and or first responders couldn't get into them because of some kind of some kind of physical security that had been put in place in order to keep them in and protect them from themselves or to protect others outside from them on the inside. These protests, of course, have generated a response by the government, which is very repressive. Pepper spray being used against protesters, large numbers of imprisonments or at least temporary detentions, and even some assaults on Western journalists. One of the BBC's photojournalists had his camera taken and he was imprisoned and beaten before being released with no real explanation whatsoever. What was he filming? He was actually recording images of the police going through people's phones, deleting their photos and videos of the police being repressive. One of the creepiest things I've ever seen. Even though, as a side note, China actually has a law protecting the right of foreign journalists to report on things inside the country. What a country says officially and what they do doesn't always align. But despite the protests and the frustration people are expressing over the lockdowns, China has maintained that they're going to stick with their zero-COVID policy of doing everything possible to thwart COVID-19 from spreading and hurting people. In response to all of this, the White House, as is normal, has expressed its support of the right of Chinese citizens to assemble in protest, something that we protect in our Constitution and believe in pretty deeply, right? Although the calls by the protesters have the Chinese government dismantled or for its leaders to leave office, the White House has not expressed an opinion about. But simply standing with the protesters and their right to protest is something that has, in the past, earned the response from the Chinese government of, hey, why don't you mind your own business? Today, we got a version of that. Hua Chunying, China's Assistant Minister of Foreign Affairs and an official spokesperson for the Chinese government, put a tweet up Tuesday morning criticizing the U.S. and claiming that Beijing's policies are just trying to protect the people. This has also been a similar pattern for them in the past when America's criticized them for perceived human rights failures. What did the tweet say? The price of, quote, freedom in the U.S., 1 million COVID deaths, plus 40,000 gun deaths per year, plus 107,000 fentanyl deaths in 2021 alone. The American people deserve something far better than that. What we want is to protect our people's lives and ensure them a better life. 
Now, I imagine most Americans upon hearing this will say things like, well, yeah, a million COVID deaths based on a disease that originated in China and a death toll that was certainly made worse by China's slow cooperation with the international community, or worse, and 107,000 fentanyl deaths based on a drug that lots of people think might be a form of chemical warfare being waged by China indirectly against us. And as far as the 40,000 gun deaths go, well, certainly many Americans think that that's the reason we should restrict guns. Other Americans think that that's the byproduct of having a country in which we allow people to own guns and therefore keep the entire country safe from, you know, repressive governments like China. Because it's much harder to take over and control a society when they're heavily armed. But that's not the thing I wanted to note today. I want to take their criticism seriously. A million deaths from COVID due to America's refusal to engage in the kind of harsh lockdown policies that China did. We had somewhere between soft lockdown and medium strength lockdown, depending on which state you lived in, but certainly nothing like China. And yeah, 40,000 or so people die from guns. And yeah, about 100,000 people died from opiate overdose last year. These are serious problems. But what is the alternative? The Chinese official in this case seems to be implying, and it's not a stretch to imagine, that look, people are prone to bad behavior. They will hurt themselves and others. Therefore, we put harsh penalties and strong laws and a very robust policing system in place to make sure that people don't have the kind of freedom that they wind up misusing and hurting others and themselves under. They're saying repression works. And if your definition of works is to save lives, they're right. Repression does work to a certain degree. I mean, if you look throughout history, you see that countries that engage in a low level of freedom and repress their citizens, it'd be nice to be able to say they always fail and implode and do poorly, but it's just not true. A lot of times they do quite well, at least for the short term. To put it another way, places in which the level of freedom is extremely high have been rare. The United States and imitator nations in the Western world are a relative novelty in the history of humanity. Repression's been the norm. And given the fact that humanity's been around for a minute, you'd kind of have to say that repression works. What we're hoping to find is something better than repression. But look, freedom absolutely carries a cost. Why? Because freedom, by definition, is giving people the capability to choose well or poorly. And they will not always choose well. It's an issue of first principles. Does the government exist to simply preserve life, the Chinese model, and therefore can do anything it wants in order to preserve life? Or... Does the government exist to preserve life and liberty and the natural byproduct of liberty, the accumulation of wealth, what we call property? See, in the United States, we believe in liberty. We believe that liberty is a fundamental value that all humans are entitled to. And as a result, I know it may sound weird to say it this way, but we believe in problems. We believe in the mess. Because every time you give people freedom, you get a mess. Think about raising children. When they first start out, you give them zero freedom because you're trying to keep them alive. You watch them all the time and you stop them from everything that's going to harm themselves. But at a certain point, you give them the ability to play in the yard or to play in their rooms or to play with friends. And what? Well, they might hurt themselves. That's natural. You give them responsibilities. They misuse them. That's natural. You teach them. When they show that they can use those responsibilities decently well, you give them more. And guess what? They mess up. And you teach them. And that continual process of expanding freedom, then giving instruction every once in a while giving punishment, is designed to make them capable of using the massive amount of freedom they're going to be entitled to when they turn 18. And people get this wrong all the time. Certainly, they give children freedom, and then children misuse it, and then they take away the freedom. No, you instruct them through it. Of course they're going to mess up when you give them more. They learn to handle it by handling it. 
It's kind of like promoting somebody into a higher level job and then taking away that job the first time they mess up. It's a higher level job. It's new to them. It's going to take them a minute to figure it out. And look, broadly speaking across a society, the level of freedom you can grant people in general is a direct byproduct of the aggregate level of virtue that people have. In a society populated by very, very good people, you don't have to have very many rules. You can have massive freedom. Why? Because people use it well. In a society populated by scoundrels, you can't have much freedom at all because they will use it poorly. But the tricky thing about virtue is you can only cultivate it by using it. You get kids to become good adults by giving them freedom so they can use it wisely and practice the habits of decency. If you never give them the practice, what happens when they get massive freedom? We all know the proverb. They go off to college and they completely implode because they were never trusted with responsibility in the first place. Now, what does this have to do with China? Well, it's simple. As Americans, we believe that freedom is the best way both to maximize human potential and also to get things like high productivity, innovation, problem solving, cooperation, and the meaningfulness of human relationships. And we know that granting everybody a large amount of freedom is going to mean that some people misuse it, but the theory is our people are good enough to handle it as long as parents do their jobs, and generally there will be enough net benefit from allowing people high amounts of freedom in general to offset the bad behavior of some people that leads to 40,000 gun deaths a year or 100,000 fentanyl deaths. Now, are we right or are they right? Well, as any observer of history is likely to say, time will tell. But the basic question is, are humans better off at a very low level of freedom where they might be alive, but the quality of life they enjoy is not particularly high? Or are they better off in the rough and tumble world of freedom and limited government where they've got their virtue and other people to help keep them from imploding? I know for my part, I vote for wisely managed freedom, which will always mean more freedom than you're particularly comfortable giving people. And how do you know you're giving them the right amount of freedom? Because you have problems. Problems are the byproduct of misused freedom. And the only way to not have problems in a society is to not have that freedom. So weirdly, I'm comforted by the fact that there are major issues in our society because I don't look at them as good things, but I look at them as evidence that we do have the one very, very good thing, freedom. Now let's all learn how to use it better so we don't empower those who'd like to take it away claiming that's for our benefit. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.